Doing a daily Bible devotional has been the best thing that I've done for myself. My time in the Old Testament only proves to me again and again and again that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. When I'm reading the New Testament, I read it within the context of when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the New Testament is just an expansion of one of those two thoughts. Those are the two lenses I look through when I'm reading the Old or the New Testament. So get a cup of coffee, sit back, and join me as I think with my mouth open. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. Ah, you know the drill. In the beginning, coffee, and lo, it was very good. Today, I'm trying a new flavor that my wife ordered. Uh, it's a Dunkin' Donuts caramel something or other. Pretty good, actually. Put a little half and half and sugar in it. It almost tastes like the real thing. Well... Let's keep on going. We're in chapter 23 of uh, 1 Samuel. David is on the run from Saul. And when I get up in the morning to do these devotionals, there's a, there's a sense of anticipation because God has never failed to give me something for me. I mean, isn't that the purpose of the devotionals? You, you want to learn something about God and you want to, learn, want to learn something about yourself and you're looking for something that God is going to explain to you or give you direction from uh, and it never fails. When I went to bed last night, I did not know what God was going to tell me today and now I do. I read through it. I did my preliminary stuff this morning. I get up early around, oh, 5.30ish, and I just started reading and taking some notes, looking at the commentary, and just kind of getting my feeling of this chapter 23, and uh, I get to the end of it, and I made a very startling conclusion that was startling to me, something I had never seen before, and it applies directly to me, and it applies directly to the question of uh, how much do you trust God, really? And it brings into the equation the sovereignty of God. What do you believe about the sovereignty of God, really? And how does your belief in the sovereignty of God help you in you moving forward through life with God? So David gives us some good information here. So let's take a look at it. We're in chapter 23. Uh, he's on the run from Saul, like I said. When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Cala and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now he has a fighting force of 400 to 600 men. And when it says he inquired of the Lord, he had, he had the priest that had escaped from Saul's massacre, a uh, great-grandson, I think, of Eli, and had a thing called the Urim and the Thummim. Urim and the Thummim. Uh, basically, it was a way of discerning God's will. And 
David's men were a little afraid because he was ready to go help defeat the Philistines. He was, the men were a little afraid, and I, I can see that. The Philistines were a trained army, and many Israelites were not trained warriors yet at this stage in the uh, development of Israel. So David goes to the Lord again and asks the question, go attack the Philistines and save Caleb. But David's men said, here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more than if we go to Caleb against the Philistine forces? Um, they were not only concerned about Saul and his army, but the Philistines were a trained army. So once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Caleb, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Caleb, fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Calah. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Calah. Now, this speaks something to David's ability as a communicator to his men, as a general. Uh, leadership isn't just about standing in front and looking rough, tough, and hard to diaper. Leadership involves inspiring those who follow you to actually follow you. You know, it's what's that old cartoon? It says, have you seen those? Have you seen the people in my office? Where are they? Which direction were they going? I got to know. I'm their leader. That's not a leader. David led and he inspired his troops to follow him. They were afraid of the Philistines and he was able to convince them that God was with them and they could defeat the Philistines. And they followed him and indeed, they did defeat the Philistines. Saul was told that David had gone to Cala. And he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Now, whether sincerely or in a false display of piety, Saul affirms that God has handed David over to him. All right. That sounds pretty religious, right? You know, many times ungodly people will use God's name to give the appearance of God sanctioning their actions. But if you look to how they live their lives, you will see they are, if they are allied with God or not. We just went through a series in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John where John was very much uh, telling the people in Ephesus in Asia Minor there that if you were a true follower of Christ, you'd act like it. You'd love your brother. Um, you would... Uh, test false apostles. You would uh, understand the word and understand what true doctrine was. And not only to understand what true doctrine was, you would act like you were a follower of Christ, loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind, loving your neighbor as yourself. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to act like it. James would say the same things when he said, you say you have faith. Excellent. I have faith. The difference between you and I is I show you my faith by how I live. Saul made a very pious sounding statement. God has handed David over to him. But if you look at the life of Saul, you, you know almost from the beginning that he was not a follower of God. He was a follower of whatever was expedient that would allow him access to power and would allow him to keep his power. Saul was not a godly man. Saul called up all his forces for battle, 
to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, Lord God of Israel. See, David knew who the true king of Israel was. Your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord answered his second question first. Will Saul come down? And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. They're not cowards. But you had to respect the fact that Saul was the king of a, of a potent army. Saul was a capable military leader. And they had probably heard what happened to the priests in their city. And David is right cognizant of that fact. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he didn't go there. So David saved the city of Keilah by leaving. David stayed in the wilderness stronghold and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him. God did not give David into his hands. Look up here. Remember when Saul said, uh, God has delivered him into my hands? No. The writer of 1 Samuel says, God did not deliver David into his hands. And this is a very, very important thing that I'm about to tell you here. God is in sovereign control of David's destiny. Not Saul, not David, not anybody. God is sovereign. Remember that. We're going to come back to that at the end of this chapter. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Now, how did Jonathan know where to find him? Hmm. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. This is a new covenant. Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Though Jonathan will not survive to serve David, we find that later on, his readiness to let go of personal ambition for the sake of God's chosen king is a foil to Saul's desperate efforts to hang on to a kingdom that's no longer his. One admirable quality that Jonathan Rep shows off here is his realization that he is not going to be the top dog. He is not going to be king of Israel. And he defers to David. No true nobility to me is found in someone who is willing to be second if that's what God wants. I am a fan of boxing. I love to watch boxing. And it's probably one of the most brutal sports out there, next to MMA perhaps. But you have one man versus another man. And one man's going to win one man's going to lose. I love to watch and see what happens 
after the fight is over. Yes, the fight itself is exciting, but I want to see how the victor handles victory. I want to see how the defeated handles defeat. And I'm always disappointed when the person who's defeated makes all kinds of excuses about how he, why he lost and it, and it doesn't have anything to do with him. I'm always disappointed when I see the victor lord it over and become the braggart, braggart and lord it over his vanquished foe. What I love to see is after the fight's over, the two opponents meet each other in the middle of the ring, they hug it out or shake hands, and, and I love it when I hear the defeated man says, you were the better man tonight. Good job. And I love it when the victor says, you were very tough and very strong. Thank you for the opportunity. I, when I see that, that's the heart of, that's a heart of humility that champions have. Jonathan has that kind of heart. He understands. He's the son of the king. He's in line for the throne. But he knows that his the throne is not going to be his. So the Ziphites, now remember, David's in the area of Ziph. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horish on the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon? Now, your majesty, come down whenever please you do so, and we'll be responsible for giving him into your hands. So Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Find out where David usually goes. And who has seen him there? They tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he use, uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now, many of the Psalms that are written were written during this time frame. Psalms 54 uh, was written about this period of times when the Ziphites were working with Saul to catch David. Psalms 54 for the director of music with stringed instruments. A mascal or song of David when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, is not David hiding among us? And this is the song that David wrote. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. That includes Saul. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes couple little things here. David recognizes the sovereignty of God. He's saying, God, you save me. Vindicate me by your might. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. He's looking to God to be his deliverer. This isn't a prayer of God give me strength so I can go out and battle my foe. This is actually a prayer of someone who is submitting totally to the sovereignty of God. Save me, O oh God. You save me 
by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Not my might, not my army of 600 men. Your might. David totally understands the sovereignty of God. Again, remember that word sovereignty. We're going to get back to it in a bit. Now, David and his men were in the desert of Man, in the Arabah, south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search, and when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Man. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Man in pursuit of David. Now, Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. They're pretty close to each other. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. Now David was trapped. We're going to find out that Saul split his forces and were moving in on David in a pincer movement. David had no escape. He was going to be forced to fight Saul in an armed conflict. Then all of a sudden, the Philistines invaded. The providential timing of this Philistine incursion is obvious. Providence, that's another fancy word that kind of circles around the word sovereignty. Providence is the, the sovereign will of God. God says something's going to happen, and it happens. And he sends the Philistines to pull Saul away from David. I don't know if Saul thought he, he was that close to David. I don't know, but he had to go and fight the Philistines. That's why they call this place Selah Hamalekoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, although David had been able to get away from Saul on several occasions, it appears this time all was lost, at least from a human standpoint. Providentially, however, there's that word again, a messenger arrived with the unsettling news that Philistines were raiding part of Saul's sovereign territory. Sensing a greater threat from the Philistines, Saul had no choice but to, pursue, but to postpone his pursuit of David. The rock, therefore, was called Selah Hamalekoth, or the Rock of Parting, apparently referring to the timely retreat of Saul's men from David's men on that occasion. God used the distraction of Philistines rather than the aid of Ziphites or other Judaites to rescue David from the tentacles of Saul. All right. Here's what lesson I'm drawing from all of this. Um, I asked a question earlier. What do you believe about the sovereignty of God? Um, and how does that affect the way you live your life? I mean, we all... Some, we all pay at least lip service to the fact that, yes, God is sovereign. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means for me. I call him the God of all my circumstances. All my circumstances. All the good things, all the bad things that go on around my life. I look at them all as if God were dealing them out and because I believe he does. My theology blue collar as it is tends more towards the Calvinist side of the house but I, I I won't stand on that hill and fight on it but I will stand on this hill and fight God is sovereign he 
has complete control of my life. And when I asked you what your belief in sovereignty, how it affects the way you live your life, here's how it affects me. If God is truly sovereign, then God is the one who fights my battles. And I wanna challenge you with this statement. Just because God has told you something is going to come to pass is not necessarily him writing a blank check for you to go out and accomplish what he's told you is going to happen. If David was told by Samuel, you're gonna be king. Saul knew his kingdom was close to being over. Jonathan knew that David was going to be the next king. God knew, David knew, Samuel knew, Jonathan knew. And yet, the one thing that struck me about this chapter and in subsequent chapters is that David does not ever fight against Saul. David does not set out to grasp the kingdom from Saul. David does exactly the opposite. He runs away from the conflict. If he's going to be king of Israel, God is going to make that happen. David does not set out to be king of Israel. If what God told him was true, then God can make it happen. Um, again, I've referred to this before, but this is another example of how it works out in my life. Uh, God promised me ministry when I first bowed my knee to him in boot camp 1975. It was like he was sitting in the chair next to me and I heard, heard him say in my mind, I have a ministry for you. And I set out over the next 10 years perhaps pursuing that, trying to make it happen, preparing myself, I thought, I was preparing myself for ministry as a pastor or a worship pastor, etc. cetera. Um, and it never happened. And I finally gave up. I, I had a lady come up to me at church uh, one time and say, Paige, um, I've been praying for you and, and the word be still and know that I'm God comes to mind. I think you're supposed to be still, to back off from ministry because I was preaching sometimes on a Sunday night. I was leading worship by myself on a Sunday night or a, a Sunday morning. And I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. I was preparing myself to be able to take hold of that role as a worship pastor or as a pastor. And she said, I think God says you're supposed to be still and know that he is God. Well, series of events. Um, I ended up, I was in the Navy at the time, ended up traveling with the Navy to other towns, other cities. And every church I went to for over the next 10 years were Reformed Presbyterian churches. Now the church that lady talked to me at was a Foursquare church, a Pentecostal denomination. And I was Pentecostal in my thoughts and actions. For the next 10 years, God put me in Reformed Presbyterian churches. I won't explain how all that happened, but just know that we, my family ended up in Reformed Presbyterian churches who had no need of a uh, fancy pants worship leader, <laughs> uh, exuberant worship leader. I could do nothing but sit in the church and be still and learn that he is God. That's the sovereignty of God, recognizing that God is the Lord of all, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. 
He is God and Lord of all, King of Kings. And when I started to grasp that truth, I started to relax. I knew I wasn't in the ministry that God was calling me to. And then I finally realized that I didn't even know what that ministry was that he was calling me to. I know he'd called me. I knew that what I thought was right wasn't right. And I finally quit pursuing that. I finally quit pushing against that door to try to open up a door, that, that door which would not open. And I relaxed in the fact that if God is going to do it, he will do it in his time. And I find myself in 2002, 27 years after I heard God tell me he had ministry for me, I find myself in 2002 involved in ministry of teaching the next generation of worshiper believers. It's a total complete ministry that's perfect for me, utilizes all my spiritual gifts, and I'm relaxed because God made it happen. This was not a self-produced self-fulfillment of prophecy. (laughs) God made it happen. And that's what I see happening here with David. David knows he's going to be king. Samuel told him he's going to be king. Jonathan, the son of the current king, knows he's going to be king. And you would think he would go to war with Saul because God's going to deliver the kingdom to him. No. He goes out of his way to not fight Saul. And his thinking is this. God raised Saul up. God will bring Saul down. And God has not told David to fight Saul. So David won't. He believes in the sovereignty of God. That's why when I ask the question, what do you believe about the sovereignty of God? That's something every one of us should answer. And then the next question is, how does that affect how you live your life? Well, I relax now. I feel no compunction to fight battles. God will win every battle. There's sin going on in the world all around me. I, unless God tells me to specifically, I will not go out and start tilting at windmills. Like Don Quixote, I'm not going to go out and start fighting battles. I will declare the word of God. I will live my life in accordance with the word of God to the best of my ability. But I'm not going to pick fights that God hasn't called me to. Now, that might change in the future. But if God calls me to a fight, I'll go. But until he does that, I won't. David has not been called to fight Saul. David is willing to wait for God to deliver the kingdom into David's hands. That's what I get out of this. That's where I'm at. David understands the sovereignty of God. Do you? That's a good place to stop. I'm Paige. Ah, there's my coffee, folks. I'm out of here. Have a great and glorious day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog.com at me.com.